So I think it's really important to find the middle ground where we can want to change our eating habits and find ways to improve them without this underlying idea that we need to do it to change our body too. Hello there, friends, and welcome to another guest episode on the Unreasonably Happy podcast. I'm here with my friend, colleague, integrative change worker, new connection, (laughs) Amber. Amber, will you introduce yourself to all of our lovely listeners, all of our people? Yeah, hello everyone. I am Amber Abila. I am a binge eating and overeating coach. I met Elisa through our change worker certification. So we have had a lot of fun coaching with each other and practicing with each other and getting to know each other. Um, And I'm so excited to be here with you guys to talk to you about my journey with food, letting go of the food rules, really tuning into how we can find joy in food and our bodies, um, and letting go of all the diet culture rules. Perfect. I'm really excited because I had I had some like reservations when we first started talking. I was like, ooh, especially like directly into the new year and directly into like New Year's resolutions and all or nothing thinking and like I'm gonna do it wrong and like fear around a new year and feeling disappointed or feeling like we set all these new ideas and new ideals and not follow up with them. And I was like, ooh, diet culture, especially right after Christmas, is so like super rampant. I come from a dance background and an actor background. I can't do my job if my body fluctuates too much. It's very present in my life. And my mom used to work at an eating disorder ward. Like everything around food can be so loaded. And I was like, oof, do I want to bring this into this space of like happiness and reframes? And I was like, hmm, making sure it doesn't get to that. And then we had our conversation and I was like, oh, this is exactly how I want to talk about it. This is exactly the like framework and the um, the perspectives that feel really helpful and joyful and in collaboration with my focus on who I invite onto this podcast, which is people who consider themselves happiness workers. So, and I, what we talked about earlier as well, of like that does fit within your kind of the way that you work and the way you work with your clients and and your journey as well. So. Yes, Amber, how do you consider yourself a happiness worker? What is that like? Yeah, so I'll start a little bit with my background with food and how I got into all of this because ultimately when you're struggling with food, it does impact every other area of your life. And so it can really impact your ability to be happy, to have joy in your life. Um, And my journey started quite a few years ago, you know, I was in this mindset of, okay, I think I just need to lose weight. Why? Because society tells me to. I didn't really have a um, big need to. I wasn't severely overweight ever. I just thought, you know, this sounds like a good time to finally like lose weight, tone up, get fit. So my journey started kind of with calorie counting. It's very innocent. People think, okay, this is the first thing we're going to do. Calories in, calories out. We're just going to eat less and move more, that typical mindset. And that's where I started. And then slowly but surely, it started to get more disordered, where I was obsessing over the calories and trying to get as little as possible. And that ultimately developed into bulimia for me. Um, So I struggled with bulimia for about a year. And I went to traditional therapy for it. And it helped quite a bit. But I was still struggling with binge eating. Um, for quite a few years after that. And I wasn't making any progress in therapy. I wasn't really sure what was wrong with me. Um, I was confused on why I just couldn't stop eating so much food all the time. 
And I later learned that my binge eating developed because I was restricting so heavily, as it does with a lot of people. When you get really diety, when you restrict your calories a lot, your body does what a healthy body does and it asks for more food. It wants you to eat more. It's trying to keep you healthy. So that led me to binge eating because it was simply my body trying to keep me alive. But then over time, I started eating more food. I learned, okay, restriction is bad. You know, I need to make sure that I'm healing my body. But it was still hard for me to stop the binge eating. And I slowly learned through coaching, through different books and podcasts that my binge eating became just a habit. So I slowly started to realize, okay, there isn't something wrong with me. It's again, just my brain doing something that healthy brains do, which is forming habits and getting me into the routine of doing the same thing, the same patterns around food. And this was really freeing for me to learn that I wasn't broken. Um, And I think especially as women, we're really glamorized to like eat as little as possible and to be like the good girl who just eats the salad and, um, you know, has like few bites of dessert, but like never overindulges. And I think if anyone is struggling with binge eating or overeating, there can be just so much shame around it and admitting to it. A lot of people think anorexia is the most common eating disorder because it is kind of glamorized by mass media, but actually binge eating is the top eating disorder, the one that most people struggling with. And I think that's because it's really hard to admit that you need help with that, that you, um, as a woman, are eating too much food because we're so shamed into thinking we can't gain weight, we can't eat more food than is socially appropriate. So it led me to really pushing off help for a long time. But the longer I waited, the more I got stuck in the habit, and then I eventually ended up getting coaching for my eating. And that is really what changed everything for me, um, where I learned about my thoughts and my feelings and how they were related to my actions. And over time, through coaching, podcasts, um, just really discovering how our brain works, I was able to get out of the binge eating struggle and truly develop my normal natural eating habits. Um, And now I teach other people to do the same. I love it. And I think I think it's such a common, you probably know more about this than me, but it's such a common pattern of going into all or nothing. And everything we see around us is hinting at like smaller is better. I know when I was growing up, it was all the like extreme makeover, biggest loser. It always had something to do with weight or even like how to dress for your body type in a way that makes you look thinner, in a way that makes you look smaller, in a way that's more flattering. And flattering always means smaller and it's so ingrained. So it's, yeah, and it's hard to just be like, oh, but like logically, I shouldn't feel like this. And then 7,000 messages a day from everything around you says, smaller is better, slimmer is better. There's something wrong with you if you do it in a different way. In my in my industry, in my culture, I think it's very common for dancers and actors and like, I want to say singers, not that I've been in that environment, but there is a very like appearance-based it's all appearance based. I was just, I was the other day, I was thinking about models and how strange it is that models exist, like supermodels exist. But it might be for a different time. But the feeling that your body is wrong, and any any time where you feel like just whatever it is that you're doing, it's just always wrong, and it could always be better. Even what you said at the beginning of like, even though your body wasn't, there was nothing wrong with it. We keep getting told that there's something wrong. We keep getting told to find faults. We keep getting told not to be happy with how we look. And yeah, so I want to I want to ask you like what shifted 
the most? Like, what are you noticing the most difference in either in yourself or in your clients? What tends to be like the one thing that shifts? What what does it give someone? What is it? What did it give you to to shift this pattern, this habit that you discovered was a habit, a habit of the mind, of healthy brains doing what they're supposed to do? Right. So I think a big thing is learning where all these expectations came from and that we weren't born hating our bodies. We weren't born with like an unhealthy relationship with food. We were born healthy and knowing how to eat. And, you know, we didn't have all these rules around how we should look and how we should eat. It was something that was taught to us, which means it can be something that is untaught to us and unlearned. And so when you can realize that, oh, this isn't inherently who I am, this is just something that I learned along the way, it can be a little bit easier to let go of and kind of redefine how do I want to think about my body? How do I want to eat ideally in my world? And, you know, I call myself a binge eating and overeating coach because I work with both and I really focus on the eating habits. But a lot of times we only see like weight loss coaches where it's like, okay, how can we just lose weight in the quickest way possible? Or even there's some good weight loss coaches out there that do things in a sustainable way, but still with this idea of I need to change my body. And then on the other side, there's these intuitive eating coaches, which I'm not against intuitive eating. I think they have some awesome principles, but I think sometimes we can go a little bit too far to the other side of saying, you know, absolutely screw all diet culture, just eat whatever you want. And I found for me in my journey and a lot of my clients, that sometimes that can take away the joy of feeling good in our body. And we go to the other extreme of just allowing our brain to have, you know, anything that it wants. And the problem with that can be is if you're in the habit of binge eating and overeating, it can be hard to distinguish at first, like what is a true desire and what is just the habit on repeat. Um, So sometimes just jumping right into intuitive eating can be a little difficult for people. So I think it's really important to find the middle ground where we can want to change our eating habits and find ways to improve them without this underlying idea that we need to do it to change our body too. And that's why I don't call myself a weight loss coach. And I do say, you know, if someone is extremely overeating or binge eating, you know, chances are they might lose weight when they stop doing that behavior. But I also think it's so important to let go of that idea of weight loss because it's often coming from a place of um, hate and shame for ourselves that we shouldn't be looking this way, that we shouldn't be eating this way. And it's really hard to make changes from that place. It's really hard to focus on the things that are important, um, which are our actions, not just our end goal. So I like to keep things you know, short and simple and small with the changes we make in order to make sure that they actually feel doable and from a place of love and empowerment versus this place of we need to lose weight because we hate ourselves and we need to look good and we need to fit society standards. I like to take a different approach of, okay, how do we actually want to feel what will actually bring us joy in how we feel about ourselves and how we feel physically as well? Yes, I love that. And I think what that made me think of is like, if I lose this weight, there's this idea that like, oh, I see the before and afters. I see the like sad before, happy after, happier in a smaller body is always every before and after I ever saw my entire childhood, my entire youth, anything. It was like the association to what it means to be in a smaller body. That was always the journey. It was always from a bigger body to a smaller body, from sad to happier. Mm-hmm. And that was a really hard association to cut and still, like, I'll hear people, it was like, oh my gosh, you look so nice. Have you lost weight? 
belong together. And like, and I'm also, and the other way of like, oh, I feel so fat and ugly. And I'm like, those are not the same thing. Those are not like, those don't belong together. So being happier in a bigger body or in a body that society is like, this is not a good body. You shouldn't or couldn't or can't be happy looking like this. Whereas that's not where it starts, but it seems like such it's such a tempting, easy, in quotation marks, easy metric because it's so measurable. Because that was like, okay, well, where's your happiness percentage? <laughs> where's your like weight loss is presented as this easy? It's like lose 10 pounds before summer, lose this for, for this. And it's like, oh, and then like that sounds like an easy way to feel better, but that's not actually where the block is. If someone like waved a magic wand, it was like, hey, you're now in this body. Now what are you going to do? What are you going to allow yourself to do? How are you going to feel? How are you going to treat yourself? What would you eat if you were already there? And there's like future sourcing that, you know, both you and I have learned about. But if I'm already on the other side of what I think will cause this change, what will be different? How will I how will I move through the world? What will I allow myself to do? What will I forgive myself for? What will what will my interests be if my number one interest and so much of my brain capacity and so much of my energy and my thoughts and my actions are in direction of this weight loss, shame-based weight loss or dieting or beating yourself up for the way that you behave around food. And I think, yeah, this like, how do I want to feel? <laughs> Can I start feeling that way already? Can I start doing the actions, the person that I want to become by what I think is weight loss, but might be something else. Hoping that makes sense. It's like roundabout way, but I think there's so many things that we think we should get, and then we will be happy. And I think the like I'll be happy when theory is always flawed because that's not where it starts. And I've had friends, and like I'm not in my in my job and environment. Yes, it's very, it's very. It's a peer space, it's body based, and there is still a range. Like, I'm in a very normal sized body, I think, in the world, but in my workspace, I'm in a much larger body than most of my colleagues. And I could either make, I could make that mean something about myself and the way that I do my job and how much joy I bring and the memories that I create and the way that I move through the world and how nice I will look in my clothes and what my favorite colors are and what's flattering. And I think having having established a relationship to myself and my body that doesn't fuel that in an environment that's really that's really kind of almost famous for having incredibly disordered eating whether or not it's an eating disorder like diagnosed but a very like a very eating focused body focused mindset so um and i love what you said about actions because that's it it's not just like oh at this end goal when i have this body then what Will you go back to the way that you were? What will have changed then? And I think, because this is one of my focuses for 2024, for me is matching, matching the outside with the inside, like matching the things that I do, my actions. What are people seeing? What are people observing that I do and say, matching how I feel on the inside, how enthusiastic I am, who I'm really, who I really am on the inside, coming out in the way that I dress, in what I talk about, in the way that I gesture in the way that I carry myself through the world and like oh if I start doing that what else follows like who are you aiming to be 
Who do you want to let out and allow? And if so much of your capacity is going to thinking about eating or thinking about your body, like it just, for me now, I'm like, oh, it's just, it sounds exhausting <laughs> to be yeah. so caught up in, <clears throat> in like your physical body and what you will allow yourself to do and how you will treat yourself based on your weight, your size, your centimeters, whatever. So I love that that's not your approach, which is right. why you're here. <laughs> One of my favorite examples in our society of someone who like unconditionally loves themselves is Lizzo. I think we all know her and love yes. her. And it is just the perfect example of you don't have to be a certain size to love yourself. And we get into this mindset of, well, but I can never love myself there. And the truth is loving yourself is a decision you make. It's not something that you arrive at one day. It's you can decide at any point in time that today I'm going to love myself. Today I'm going to honor my body. Today I'm going to respect myself and show myself kindness because we're never going to get there. I've seen it plenty of times in myself and with clients where we decide, okay, once we lose the weight, blah, 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 blah then we'll decide to love ourselves and then we lose the weight and we still don't love ourselves. And it happened to me, you know, I, I got down to a much lower weight even than I am now. And it was like the time that I hated myself the most. It was the time that I felt the least confident. And it's because of the thoughts I was telling myself about my body. And so if you look at someone who is in a larger body in an example in your life, an example in um, modern culture, you can see, oh, okay, it's not their body that makes them happy and confident. It's what they decide to think about your body. And when you decide to think about it positively, it's so much easier to make those positive changes in it. And one way I get around the weight loss um, number goal, because it is, it's like, well, if we're going to decide, you know, how much progress we're making, we're going to look at the numbers. I use non-scale victories is what I call them. And it's all the ways that you that. are progressing without the scale. So you can look at, you know, am I feeling more energized? Am I feeling more confident? Am I feeling um, like I'm able to make better food decisions? Have I been meal prepping and eating more vegetables and protein? Have I been going for walks more? Have I been journaling more? Like all of these things count as wins and help us along the journey without ever having to look at this scale. Another thing I do with my clients is I use a progress tracker where we rank a few key areas of how they're doing that have nothing to do with the scale, but also give us kind of like a guidance number. So you can do this at home for yourself too. I have them rank every month um, the times a week that they're binge eating or overeating on average. So they can kind of see, you know, how their average is and if it's going down in the direction that they want it to. And then we also rank things such as how well they're listening to their hunger, how well they're listening to their fullness, um, how well they feel like they're able to moderate food. So have just one of something and move on and enjoy it peacefully without all the food drama. We rank their urges. So if their urges are getting less strong, that's a good sign that they're changing their brain as well. So you can think about if there's other ways in your life that you can rank the changes you're making without having to use the scale because even though the scale is just a number at the end of the day, our society has inherently put a lot of drama into it. And so sometimes it can just be easier to just leave the scale behind so we don't get caught up in that drama so easily. Yes, I love it. And I love your your non-scale victories. It made me think because I don't have a scale. I have a scale. It's broken. I don't know why it's still here. But 
occasionally I'll be in a house or be at someone's place and they will have a scale and occasionally I'll like, oh, I actually don't know what I weigh. And I'll step on it. And then afterwards I'll be like, wow, why did I have? Because this has happened a few times. And whether or not that number is higher or lower than what I think it should be or think it's like supposed to be or what is a good weight for some reason, I'm like, and and now what? What will I do with this information? How am I going to treat myself? Like, am I going to eat differently today because I now don't deserve, quote unquote, to eat? I think the fact of like the moral judgment on your size of body or like you are a good person or like you're good for not eating dessert or you're good. Like it has no moral value. It has zero moral value. What you eat, what your body looks like. It says nothing about you as a person. You have no idea what's going on in people's lives, whether or not their body looks a certain way. And I'm like, sure, I can recognize patterns of like, I feel better when I feel stronger, which is usually actually at a higher weight. Because if I'm working out consistently and I'm like building muscle and biking to work and feeling, I feel lighter and more energetic in my body when I am a little heavier because that means I'm stronger. Like, which sounds counterintuitive in a world that tells us like the lower the weight, the better you will be more whatever conventionally attractive or anything. Like you will look like these mannequins. So I think what you said about, yes, Lizzo, but also I feel like I've curated my Instagram for example, which is where I spend the most time scrolling, to also include different body types, people who talk about body positivity, people who show their bodies moving and skin texture. And I think there's a part of me that's so sick of seeing, I'm kind of bored with perfect, quote unquote, perfect robot AI bodies. And I love seeing people like laughing and dressing the way they want and embracing what has until now is also in my brain because that's what I've been told they are flaws instead of like okay what's actually what actually matters what matters what do I think of my friends like why do I love my friends why do I love the people in my life it's not because of the size of their belly it's not because of like whatever they eat it's not I don't think they're a better or worse person for what they order for lunch or how much they eat or how little they eat but it's so uh, it's so like under our skin and I think there's like culture around it of like, you have to finish your plate. I sometimes do that as far as like you mentioned, listening to hunger cues and fullness cues of like, oh, but it's just, I just have to finish my plate. Like I have to finish what I'm served or I have to finish this portion or the other way around. Of like, I'm actually not full, but I'm not going to listen to it because this was my designated food. I don't know, listening to those, those cues and having, having a frame of reference of like, what do I need? What do I need my energy to be like? I think I'm, <laughs> I have discovered, I have like a three hour window. And if I don't eat after three hours, I will start getting, I don't get hangry, <laughs> but I get really sad. <laughs> and I go to like, oh, everything's just wrong. And I'm just, I'm just so tired. And I'm just, this is my life made crisis. It's like, I'm only good at things that are easy. Is often the thought that comes up. And I'm like, wait, when was the last time I ate something? And it's just, it's usually just that. Although I sometimes misunderstand it and I have an app instead and that doesn't work because that wasn't what I needed. But recognizing, I think it's another part of that getting to know yourself so that you can do things that are good for you. And my like body acceptance thing of like having, having the perspective, yes, you can have the perspective of like, oh, this is how I love my friends. This is how I appreciate other bodies. Like all bodies are good bodies, but 
the frame that like usually always makes me cry is like, what if I was my own child? <laughs> what if I was my own daughter? And my daughter was just like me and she looked exactly like me and she had her urges and they were just like mine. How would I teach her about how to eat, how to fuel herself, how to, you know, have energy to do the things that she wants to do? I was dancing a lot when I was growing up. How do I fuel the things that I want to do? How do I talk about food? And I think I was very lucky to be in the family I was, in the dance community that I was when this was being established so that I could resist it when I got further up into my, you know, studies and everything. And this got more, because you're constantly looking at yourself in the mirror next to other bodies that are unconventionally small. Like, they're not a good kind of representative of the world and what normal, quote-unquote, bodies look like. Like, the range of bodies that are normal. So, ah, I love the non-scale victories. Like, what really what matters and how do you get to know yourself better to yeah live life that feels fueled and happy because food you can't just cut it out it's not like say you have a coach and you want to stop the habit of drinking alcohol or eating i don't know eating candy or smoking or like something that's not essential but food is essential you have to find a way to work with it because you can't you can't not you can't stop eating Right. Right. Yeah. And that's definitely something I work with people on is finding the joy in food again and like making it an enjoyable experience, the whole process of eating. Because when you're in these thoughts around food and having a hard time with your relationship with food, it can impact just your everyday life so much and just whole all of your brain space. So being able to um, find that joy in eating in your body is so important because it's something we're going to have to do every single day forever and ever and ever. Um, we have to live in our body every day forever and ever. So it's really important to have a good baseline relationship with it. I love that. And I love that you call it relationship because I feel like there's, I to be fair, I often sometimes talk about my brain as a separate entity of like, oh, it's just telling me this or ah, my brain just like my inner critic part of my brain, for example. But I also think that happens with like a separation from the body of like judging your body as a separate part of you, of thinking your body's against you, or there's like a, oh, my body is a bad body somehow and doesn't deserve to be treated nicely or doesn't deserve to, I don't know, be taken care of. So I think, yeah, building a relationship with it, building a joyful relationship with your body and the way that the way you treat it, like if you were responsible for someone else's body, and this is like an outside perspective one, if I was going to tell someone how to take care of my cat or dog, I don't have cats or dogs, but if I was like, okay, he needs to eat at this amount, he needs to be outside like this, he really enjoys running around like this, this is his favorite toy, like here's how to take care of another the person or creature. <laughs> if you were like looking at the outside and be like, okay, how do I see myself? What makes me feel good? What If someone was in charge of taking care of me and my body, what instructions would I give them to be like, this is how I prefer being taken care of? Like if you were giving those instructions to someone else, like, oh yeah, this much outdoors time, like make sure the bedroom is this temperature for sleeping, make sure she eats at this time of day, make sure she doesn't go more than three hours without a snack. <laughs> and having like kind of, being curious and being observant of of the things that does work because I'm sure it's not the exact same for everyone which is why 
your approach to each client is that you find a way that works for you instead of giving them like, here's the list, here's exactly what to eat and exactly the timings and exactly the quantities instead of, yeah, like not that all or nothing um, mentality, which is so easy to get into of like, oh, if I just follow these rules, I will have this result. And that's usually not how anything works ever. <laughs> so, you know, totally diet culture will villainize one food and then glorify another. And I think about bananas, like something that sometimes will be said as bad because it's too high in sugar. And then sometimes people say, oh, it's, it's really good. It's just a fruit. And there really is no rules. There are millions and billions of people all around the world who are healthy and eat completely differently too. So you can look at, you know, even just your friends around you, you know, you probably eat differently than them. And yet we can all find health and wellness eating in a way that works for us too. So I like to think of it as finding your way to being a natural eater if you're struggling with food. Um, I remember I always said, I just want to feel normal around food. That was like the thought that kept going through my head. Like, I just want to be normal around food. And to me, being a natural eater, feeling normal around food means listening to your hunger, listening to your fullness, honoring those cues, but also finding ways to add in nutrition that feels good and foods that are just for joy, foods that just taste good, foods that are just you know, pleasurable for the tongue and nothing else because without that, we're not really enjoying our food. And diet culture tells us that we can't enjoy food, that food shouldn't be enjoyed, that food should just be only for health, only for weight loss. Like it should only serve this purpose of fueling our body. And yes, it fuels our body. That is a purpose. But, you know, food is also a way to connect with people. Food is also a way, sometimes it does bring us joy. Um, food is also a way that allows us to experience new cultures when we travel and do things. So it's so much more than just like fuel for our body. And we need to allow space for that too and not just think, okay, how can we be as healthy as possible? Because that will ultimately lead to us feeling restricted and deprived and wanting that joy that we deserve around food. And what a lot of people get backwards is they think, well, if I just allow myself joy around food, if I just allow myself pleasure with it, then I'll just overeat on it. I'll eat too much of it. But really what I found for myself and with everyone I've worked for is that the opposite is true because when we enjoy our food, we find satisfaction with it. Mm. And when we're satisfied, yeah. we're able to move on from that experience. Um, I love to give the example, I hope it's okay for me to say this, but I love <laughs> to give the example of sex because if you're like mindless during sex, you're like zoned out, you're not present during it, not as good. And it's the same thing with food. Like if we really tune in and enjoy it, we're going to be able to feel satisfied and move on from it, like get our day on with. And we're not so obsessing over it because we never enjoyed it. So, you know, I really want people to realize that we're not cutting out any joy or pleasure from your life when we stop overeating, stop binge eating. It's really adding it back in because we're allowing ourselves to feel good we're eating food that is in amounts that feel good to us. And that makes us so much happier overall because we're finally enjoying something that is meant to be enjoyed. I love it. I know I've said that to like every single thing you've said, but it just, it resonates so heavily because I have had a podcast episode about this. I'll check what number that is and link it. But the word in Norwegian for satisfied is tilfritz, which means at peace. 
when you arrive at a place where you are at peace, you fulfill the need and you're done. And there's just like, ah, that was nice. That was enough. But not being aware of that or like having so much stress around food or sex was like, yes, this is allowed. <laughs> I will put the E for explicit. Don't listen, children. Having, yeah, having like mindfulness around it, being like, I'm in this moment right now. I'm not going to stress out. Like, what does my body look like versus how does it feel? Which is one of my like main principles of life of like, am I feeling good or does this just look nice? Like, I don't care what my food looks like if it doesn't taste good, if it doesn't feel good. So I think adding in that joy and I'm like, like so many ideas come to mind of like food experiences, like you said, with other people in different cultures, like going to trips to like food markets and trying new things and exploring new flavors. And there's so much fun to be had with food. I'm like, I'm going to try to make ginger shots today, which I've never done before. But I'm like, oh, let me try this. I don't like having it as something that's playful, something that's joy filled, something that like baking cookies with someone and making new memories or making presents and making making new memories around food if food has always been like a stressful thing and having like this like indulgent thing that you said like the the point isn't to have as much as possible like that's not that's not usually where it goes like i have terrible buffet technique because <laughs> i like i like start in one end and then like pick something and i'll have the like most disconnected plate of food ever like a gigantic pile Instead of like, what do I actually want? What do I want to prioritize? What do I want to spend my, like, my life eating? What am I? What am I excited about eating? Um, yeah, looking at looking at menus, looking at recipes on Pinterest, looking at like cookbooks, and like, oh, let me try this. Making food interesting and fun, and like you said, and nutritious because it is fuel. Because it is also like what allows you to move through the world. What allows you to like propel your body into all the other fun things you want to do it's such a big part of life. And if that becomes a gigantic source of stress, of course you would want to like, yeah, find a better way to deal with it, in my opinion. <laughs> and having, yeah, even like noting down like ideas for, for food adventures to go on or recipes to try with friends or like, hey, next time I invite someone over, I have this idea for this thing we can try linking it to positive experiences and seeing that if you're this sounds restrictive in my mind to this like as I'm saying it but like if you sit with it and like mindfully eat like the most delicious cake I usually don't want a second piece of cake I usually like as far as like feeling that like satisfaction piece like the fullness cue I'm like yeah when I'm at peace when I'm satisfied when I go into like red zone <laughs> But like I have now overeaten so much and I'm just I feel like I can't move and if I move I will throw up um and it happens sometimes I still do that sometimes and it's I think it's a practice like you said like it's a habit it's a practice of noticing what does fullness feel like to me what do I feel like where do I get to the point of like being satisfied with the amount of food that I have um and one of mine is <laughs> one of mine is having like five Pringles almost every single day I have my favorite sour cream, but it's like a spicy sour cream. It's very strange. They have it here in France. It's really nice. And I have five almost every single day in my lunchbox. I have lots of little boxes with little snacks, little things, making it easy for myself to eat the things that I want to eat. And like, like these cherry tomatoes makes me eat cherry tomatoes 
the like longer ones and the round ones don't because they're not as fun and they're a bit watery and they're not as flavorful making it easy like chopping up my apple and having apple with peanut butter instead of eating a whole apple which for me for somehow like the threshold is much higher to eat a whole apple <laughs> than to eat an apple that's cut up into wedges so yeah i think i've done this for a while now finding ways to eat the food that i want to eat that makes me feel good and also making it fun like making it entertaining and enjoyable and i open get comments on all of my tiny <laughs> Tupperware boxes I'm like oh yes today I have 12 <laughs> different ones <clears throat> with me to work so yeah the like changing the approach to it which doesn't like you said doesn't have to look a certain way like all your friends eat differently everyone in the world eats differently there's no one one right way and like yes playing and exploring but not with the aim of finding the singular right answer so as we wrap up because i you know we've already talked an hour about this and we've already filled this whole episode and it's just i love getting enthusiastic about topics like this so if people want to work with you find you learn more where can they go yeah, the best place to find me is probably on Instagram. I'm at The Confident Eater. You can find me pretty much anywhere at The Confident Eater. Um, Amber Abila, you can also search me. It should pop up. If you are struggling with food, I would also recommend downloading my Urge audio. I have a seven-minute pre-recorded audio that helps walk you through what to do when you get an urge to eat. Because for me, urges were always the hardest thing. Um, they're not really talked about a lot with people. And most people don't know what are my urges? How do I get through one? How do I sit with it? But that's ultimately how we change your brain around food. I have a free audio that you can download um, and I'll have it linked in the show notes for you guys. So you guys can have access to that. Amazing. We'll put all of the links, all the good stuff in the show notes. I'm going to put this in my highlights on Instagram as well. I usually share all my episodes there. I'll link your Instagram. And oh, I loved this conversation. And the fact that it's The Confident Eater, which I have not made an episode about. Have I? I know I've least posted it on Instagram, but the word confident in Norwegian is seltilit, which is just, it literally means self-trust. Being confident, trusting yourself around food, trusting yourself around eating, trusting your body, signalizing to you. Like you and I know that our body is our subconscious mind. Listening to those signals, listening to the communicating with your body, trusting that if your body is telling you something, you can listen and it doesn't have to mean anything. It's not a moral judgment. There's no shame around it. It's, yeah, I think it's such beautiful work that you're doing. I think it's really important. And I think there's so much, there's so many skewed perspectives on eating, diet, weight loss, bodies. I think having like a voice like yours talking about it in this like compassionate way in a way that's like tailored to each separate person giving them back their self-confidence instead of like I'm your weight loss coach here's your list of things to eat feels very very different and yeah thank you well, thank so you much for having for, me on thank you for being here and yeah I'll talk to you all next week go find Amber go follow her on Instagram go go eat joyful food if anything came up during this episode, anything you want to either ask me about or ask Amber about, 
feel free to respond, go on Instagram, comment on the like comment section. And if you want to review this lovely podcast, um, please do so at well, both yes, both Apple and Spotify, I think, have the have the reviews so that other people can find it and see what it's all about. And yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Amber, thank you so much for coming. Thank you.